listening to the Batman Universe Commentaries, brought to you by thebatmanuniverse.net. Join the staff of the Batman Universe as we watch another exciting incarnation of the Cape Crusader from his extensive media library. Welcome to the Batman Universe Animated Commentaries. This is Joe, and today I have with me... You got Josh? And this is John. And today we are going to be doing a commentary for you for Batman Year One, the animated version of the popular Frank Miller and David Kelly comic book, which came out in 2011. So before we start, your history of it. Yeah, I read the comic years ago because the uh, the trade paperback, and I and I heard you almost call it graphic novel and correct yourself to comic. Well done, my man. <laughs> it was everywhere, and when I was getting into Batman as a kid, that was one of the ones that I had. But obviously, aside from the chapter where the cops are chasing him and he's in the abandoned building, everything else went over my Boy. head. All this stuff with the cops making deals and like you know, and the plea bargains and. I couldn't understand half of the stuff. I didn't even understand the cocaine stuff that was happening in the the part where the guy's sniffing cocaine. But obviously, as I got older and I did rereads of the story, I'm like, okay, now I know what's going on. And for Comic-Con in San Diego, 2011, they did have a late-night premiere of the movie, and I went ahead and saw that with fellow Batman Universe uh, .NET co-hosts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stella Bowman, and... I think John Wilson went with us. He was he and he was uh, briefly a Batman Universe co-host as well, and we all we all enjoyed it. Apparently, you guys did, didn't think it was so hot. Now I haven't actually seen it since that day in Comic Con a year and a half ago. So it'll be interesting to see how it holds up when you're not in like a crowded room of cheering people and all that euphoria. I came to the comic quite late, but I didn't actually read it until well into my second year of collecting Batman and I thought it was very good and it was very interesting and it reboots Batman in a way that was exciting that was new the film I had very high expectations of I thought it's going to be good they're doing it frame by frame which will be interesting and whether that is carried through you're going to have to listen to the commentary to find out. To me, I read the... I, I got it when it was in trade paperback, obviously, after several reprints, and I enjoyed it. I, I don't seem to enjoy it as much as some Bat fans seem to, but it's definitely uh, up there in my top ten. I do enjoy it, and as John was saying, I do think it's a great origin story, and it's obviously the one that I, I'll always refer to. And, yeah, I was looking forward to the film very much, looking forward to the frame-by-frame adaptation like John said, we'll have to start the film to see how that carries through. So with that, I think everyone's queued up to zero 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 zero. So before we start, you know, make sure you've got your soda, your nachos, your gummy bears, your Twizzlers, your Twinkies, your roast beef, whatever you need. I guess we'll start on one. I'll count down from three. So three, two, one. The old DC logo. Yeah, trip down memory lane. I always feel sad that that for the most recent films, they DC have got rid of the really interesting entrance bits that they the the title logos that they they did um, that you can see on things like Public Enemies and stuff. I always found that in they were really interesting, and I I kind of missed them. Oh yeah. Straight away we jump into some CGI, which I'm... I don't mind CGI, but uh, it's this kind of rendering where they do it in CGI and then render it in 2D to make it look like it's hand-drawn, but it never works. And uh, 
I mean, I know why they do it. It's to make it easier on animators because drawing perspective of like a moving vehicle or car or something can be very difficult. But I, I don't think it works at all. It really irritates me seeing it. For some reason, I always, when I the book, thought that Gordon like came by train during the night. At least that's the way that the coloring made it look, as I remember it. Yeah, I think that, but that was that was the coloring and to make it seem grittier. Whereas in this, it does seem a bit neater and cleaner. I suppose it makes more sense as well. You didn't never really kind of understood why. Gordon turns up at night just rather than during the day. Well, that's when his uh, plane gets in. Or, uh, excuse me, trained. Yeah, but everybody's going to have gone home by then. I can't imagine Commissioner Lope hanging around waiting. It's crime noir. Everyone waits at night. There is no, no daytime in crime noir. That's true. No, I think Brian Cranston does an awesome job as Commissioner Gordon in this. I don't know about you guys, but I think he was a really good choice for the role. He does good. I, I can't stop thinking of him as the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, though. And it's like such a departure. <laughs> I think he has done some other animated stuff. I'm trying to think of what he's done, but I think he's done other bits. He's got ranged. Yeah, definitely. I think as well it helps that this is Gordon's story, really. Batman Year One has always been seen as Gordon's origin story more than, in my opinion, Batman's story. I remember the first time I heard someone say that, and I was like, wow, you know what, you're right, that's really cool. And then ever since then, everyone who ever talks about it kind of goes like, now I don't know about you guys, but I always seen this as a combination of Gordon's story, and it's like, oh, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, I, I know that we already passed that scene, but uh, Vicky Vale being the newscaster, that was not her in the comic. There's no Vicky Vale in Batman Year One book, so that's an addition of the movie. Well, so much for frame by frame. <laughs> well, it's it's almost as frame by frame as you can get, it's with a few exceptions. Yeah. I actually think the uh, they've managed to capture... Maybe Mazzucchelli's art style quite well. I think a lot better than they managed to capture Frank Miller's. No matter how much you sweep, Alfred, it'll never get clean. Apparently, uh, Frank Miller, no, uh, John Byrne, complained about all the research that he did for, like, Man of Steel versus the research that Frank Miller did for uh, Batman Year One, and how John Byrne had no idea that, uh, John Byrne had no idea, or excuse me, Frank Miller had no idea that Alfred was not there from the beginning, and he just assumed that Alfred was there from the beginning and put him in Year One. Because in the yeah. Golden Age comics, Alfred shows up while Dick is already Robin, and he doesn't know their secret identities at first. Yeah, I remember you telling me that one, because on the comic cast, and I've never known that because I've only really read this as the origin story. I think this way makes much more sense, though, because why wouldn't... If Alfred's his butler and spends all his time in his house, why would he not know that... He's oh, well, he, he found out really quickly. <laughs> because he was the butler in the house. <laughs> He'd be a really rubbish butler if he never knew. Well, that's what he was in those early stories, a really rubbish butler. He was basically like Jar Jar Binks. He was always, like, tripping over stuff, and he was the comic relief, and... Is that how he found out who Batman was? He tripped over something, fell through the clock, and went, where am I? Oh, there's two different versions. There's one where, like, he accidentally, like, finds the Batcave or something, and I think that that was how they originally did it. But then, like, when they retold the story in the Bronze Age, it was, like, uh, in the middle of the night, Bruce was injured, and he heard, like, moans coming from the Batcave. It's a really weird place to, like, bury your parents in your backyard. 
especially when you disappeared for 15 years or however long it was. Sorry I haven't been visiting your grave. I've been having adventures all around the world. You'll hear all about it in my animated series, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Read it in my new biography, Bruce Wayne. Is he Batman? World traveler. Under the hood. Oh, wait, no, that was Batman. <laughs> that's what Smallville was going to be was like Bruce Wayne's like well not his around the world adventures he was just going to be back from around the world but then they said let's do Superman instead <laughs> look at Flash and that like little smile on his face as if he didn't just flip a car over <laughs> it's interesting how many uh, comparisons you can make between this and Batman Begins Obviously, the look of Flash is not one of them. Yeah, this was one of my complaints. Gordon, like, in the comic, he's got, like, I don't want to say a pot belly, but he's got the body of, like, someone of his age. Here, he's, he's ripped. He's buff. And Barbara Gordon Sr., she's like a supermodel. And she did ginger as well. Um, she had brown hair in the comic. Well, well, because that's another thing, that, like, when this book first came out, um, the baby that was born at the end wasn't going to be James Gordon Jr., it was going to be Barbara Gordon Jr., but then, like, DC Editorial said no, because that wouldn't mean that Batman's, like, been around for 20 years, so make it a boy... So it basically retcons Barbara out of existence, and there were some angry letter writers about that. So that's why they had to change her post-crisis history, that, like, Barbara was adopted by the Gordons, that she was their niece. But then, like, they revealed in the 90s that she was still Gordon's love child because Gordon had sex with his sister-in-law. It's really weird. Already, we've kind of seen quite a lot of violence in this. Not necessarily gore, but you know, physically, it's quite brutal. The story, and I think it's interesting how they decided to show all of that. And here's another scene, obviously. This is one of Gordon's finer moments. Yeah, I guess this is kind of where he needs to be shown to be a bit buffer because if he's just like, you know, a regular looking guy. Yeah, but you don't... In the comic, I, I, I believe that he can beat up those cops because of all of his training, and he still had, like, the body of, you know, a 40-year-old man or however old he is. I think it's ridiculous how in the new 52 comics, they, like, changed Gordon's hair color back to red, which means that, like, somebody at, in D.C., like, made a conscious decision that, like, his hair is not white anymore. He's too old. We have to make Gordon younger. He's not relatable to the fans. Or he's bought just for men. <laughs> it's still a conscious Why would he go back, to, would he go go back to Ginger if he were bought just for men? It's still a conscious decision that, like, that the editors made, though. Like, like, somebody had to say in a meeting, Gordon needs to be younger, which is a... I don't think any fan has ever been worried about Gordon's age. No. I mean, it's, you know, he's quite iconic, I think, for all the I would, love, I would love Adam West to be walking down this strip and reacting to it. Doing the bat dance. <laughs> You can tell by the way I use my walk, I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. I, I have to admit, this is one of my problems with the film, is Ben McKenzie as Bruce. I was waiting for you to bring this up. He's... I, I, I know this is a criticism that's been leveled at him a lot, but he it just sounds so bored delivering these lines. I get his monologue, and... um. You know, I understand that it's difficult to do, but you'd think, gee, he'd have some kind of expression. It's just bored. 
I get you. I mean, I think the the point is he's meant to be kind of the route of emotion because you know all his beauty and then all of his training and stuff is just he's kind of more of a machine than man. All he's doing is just out to fight crime. Yeah, I I mean maybe this is just me, but I've always read the comics though as this is the period where Bruce has still has hope because he's come back and he's ready and he's eager and he's determined to do it, and he's going to clean up the streets, and it'll be done really quickly. And I think that kind of angry, bitter Bruce comes later when he realises that he can't do it. It's it's impossible that no matter how much he tries, he's never going to stop everything, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's... that's it's weird that you would say that he has hope because this is the period when Gotham was like the most hopeless with all those like crooked cops. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. It's, it's Gotham at its darkest. But I mean, when you make, to my mind, when you make these decisions, you you do so and you start off with this real hope and idea that you're going to honestly change the world. And I think that's partly why Bruce does it. I mean, if you think about, not you know, not necessarily crime fighting, but when people do something for, you know, start, start a podcast or whatever, they do so in the hope that they're going to be big. And then when they're not, that's when they start getting angry or give up or get bitter or whatever. Batman is extraordinarily strong in this. And he's kicked down a tree, kicked the door off its hinges. And yet, he can defeat Catwoman in the fight. <laughs> Even scum have families. Meaning he has to justify it to himself because he was going to leave them. You cop killer. Either that or just to explain to the audience watching. <laughs> Go home, Bruce. You're drunk. So Metropolis is only 75 miles from Gotham. Not too far. That's why Superman can hear stuff going on. <laughs> oh, Flash! <laughs> you're about to ha- you're about to have the most traumatic experience of your life. So, in America, do you not need license plates? Or is this just an animal? Oh, no, you, you need license plates in America, yeah. You're, uh... <laughs> you'll be pulled over in, like, minutes flat with that one. I guess they are dirty cops, so maybe flat doesn't need any. And everyone has tinted windows. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, there are cats in America. Somebody somewhere will get that joke. Okay. I'm not I, love how, I love how Flash is dressed as a high school jock for some reason. <laughs> he's gone undercover at the high school. Well, he, he's dressed as a, a jock in the comics, isn't he? He's that sort of... Uh, it, you know... I think uh, slightly identifying with the the, the type, the stereotype of the person who picks on people who read comic books. I kind of slightly always saw this as, uh, uh, you know, Gordon being, you know, with glasses and being a bit overweight. 
and Flash being the jockey kind of thing is a sort of symbolism of, of sort of the people that used to pick on you at school. I never thought about that, but that's... I think it's an interesting uh, yeah. thought, but I mean, when this was released, I don't think there was as much of a you know, a negative connotation of comic readers. Everybody laughed in uh, the theater at San Diego, and uh, they drive away and Flash is naked. Father, I may die tonight. Get ready for a massive. Say what? Uh, get ready for a massive continuity error. And I. Yeah, everyone I would... knows that that bat was killed off in Detective Comics number twelve. Before Batman first appeared. Father, why aren't you answering me? It's as if you're a statue. <laughs> Stop staring at me. Oh yeah, I just remembered what uh what you're talking right now with the bat. <laughs> Was it detective? What? When he's killed by the owl, is that right? Uh, yeah, he's killed off in in detective, but um, I I mean actually in the film in in this in the shots coming up after this. Uh, well, I'll 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 point it out, and if you get there before me, I will be impressed. Actually, there's a book where, like, Alfred, it's revealed that, like, Alfred swept up the bat after it, like, and threw it in the trash after it, uh, came into Wayne Manor, so. I mean, quite a few stories. I know Grant Morrison did a bit about it in The Return, uh, yeah. The Return, where it's <laughs> the, 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 uh, the bat woke up and the owl. I think that was a nice scene there, the black and white. I thought it was very well animated. Here we go. Continuity error. Okay, so it smashes through the top half of that window. It's mess. How much damage has that bat done to that window? It literally has to be the world's big. Look at it. Look at the size of that. It's taken out the entire half of that window. How maybe the window has that? a. Maybe the window has, like, a weak foundation. It's it's made of glass. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably only single glazing. Right? Yeah. That's huge. I wonder if that's... I'd have to check the uh, actual comic to see if that's panel for panel, but I wonder if the animators have made a conscious decision where they're like, now, should we keep this accurate or should we follow what's in the book? Well, it always flew into the window, and I think, I could be wrong, that Dark Knight Returns is the first time where it, like, breaks the window. And I think that they even addressed that in the Batman, uh, uh, what's that one story, that, that Grant Morrison story, where, like, it's like, did it break the window, or did it fly in? I can never remember. I thought, um, this came out before Dark Knight Returns. No, this was after Dark Knight Returns. Uh-huh. Which, I always preferred this to Dark Knight Returns, truth be told. I know everyone's always been about Dark Knight Returns. This has always been a better story for me, though. Well, I think this, I mean, it's more to the continuity and stuff, and I know you're a continuity fan, or not when it's done wrong, but... Well, this this did change a lot of continuity. Like, um, in fact, Don Levin Grant called me this week because he was reading some old letters pages, and there was, like, a fan who ripped this story apart because of, uh, <laughs> um, like, it making Catwoman a prostitute, retconning Barbara Gordon out of existence temporarily, and it's like... And the, the fan's really condescending. He's like, well, Frank Miller, did you even bother to read those old detective comic stories? I bet you didn't, ass. I do think it saved Batman, though. It moved it away from the... It really moved it away from the camp into the Batman that we know now in that dark... Yeah, but it hadn't really been that camp in a while. Like, no, it was moving more into the uh, detective... Yeah. Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams, the, uh, yeah, more, 
based on Texas. I mean, I think there was still camp elements in it, but not as it wasn't right. you know Batman in space anymore. No, yeah. but it, I, I, this I mean this very clearly me, juicy fruit Batman uh, Gordon's offering. Them. But uh, you know, I, I think this really killed off any camp coming back. Yeah, I, I, think, I think as far as the public knew, it did. Like, the public perception of Batman. But for comic readers, I don't think Batman had been camp a while. And hasn't uh, Frank Miller kind of said how he's regretted that he started this kind of dark wave of comics? And yet he keeps on... And then he made All-Star Batman and Robin... Which took it, then, which thank goodness, like that didn't change the direction of comics because you had Batman, like, practically doing child abuse. It was just a jerk to everybody and all star Batman and Robin. But that's because Frank Miller literally loves Batman and nobody else ever. And Frank Miller has said that, like, he has his own continuity where it's year one. Um, All-Star Batman and Robin, Dark Knight Returns, and the sequel to Dark Knight, Dark Knight Strikes Again. And uh, he could go ahead and say that those things are in continuity, but in my personal continuity, uh, All-Star Batman and Robin does not come after year one. In my continuity, All-Star Batman and Robin doesn't exist. Without Batman, it's Al-Qaeda. Oh, God. When he changed and his name to the fixer, I think, is how he got behind it. Because DC, DC wisely went, um, no, we like selling comics in the Middle East, so we're not going to do that. Although uh, he did recently call um, the the protesters in the Occupy movement scum, so that was quite amusing. Well, that's such a dividing... Yeah, I did enjoy watching the American news about that. That was very, very, very funny. I love this bit where Batman's trying to save their friend and they're just trying to push him off the ledge with him. Yeah, he's he's not being staying friends with those people, is he, after this, where they've tried to <laughs> basically beat Batman up and drop their friend off a ledge. But I suppose that's a natural reaction. When Stella interviewed, um, I think it's Katie Sackhoff that plays Sarah and right? Well, when Stella interviewed her during Comic-Con, like, she knew nothing about her character, and she had already recorded the parts. Like, this was for the premiere of the movie. And Katie Sackhoff's like, yeah, I'm playing a prostitute. And we're like, what? She's She's not. Did she, like, record this, like, forget all about it, or just, like, even pay attention to the script? I love how uh, the drawings that they have on the wall are exactly from the comic. Sarah S. and before she was taken out of continuity, too. There's a, she was killed, and then there was a Batgirl comic uh, last year where Barbara Gordon says that uh, that her dad never remarried after her mother left her. Oh, oh yeah. Which, which means that he and Sarah S. had never married in this continuity, or maybe she never existed. I think that's probably taking away from the fact that Gordon had an affair, spoilers, which uh, I guess we'll get to in this, but... How did you feel about that? It was interesting, and, like, I guess you can have Gordon do that and not Batman. But, uh, I, I could see how if you were a fan of the Batman comics, like, if you were me from 1980s and you read your one, you'd probably be mad that Catwoman's a prostitute, They uh, the bat broke the window instead of flying in, Gordon cheats on his wife, where's Barbara Gordon? At the, you it is a hard pill to swallow. I, uh, I think I found it very difficult to read because, you know, it's watching a character you love doing something so wrong. But uh, at the same time, I think, you know, it kind of makes him more human in a way. And showing that he's not perfect, I think, is a brave but quite a good move. 
I thought it was interesting. That is a very rare stake. But yeah, Sarah gets shot in the head by the Joker during No Man's Land. So Commissioner Gordon shoots the Joker in the knee, and he says, No, I'll never walk again. Oh, I get it, like your daughter. Good one, Commissioner. <laughs> I used to do the clown from the truck crime, and I threw a bullet through the knee. I'm really sorry I did that. I, yeah, I'm ashamed. know what Kevin Smith did to this scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> what Kevin Smith does to everything that he touches? I like some of Kevin Smith's stuff, but he needs to stay away from Batman. I did I like Secrets, know. though. I thought Secrets was good. For, for those listening to the commentary who don't know, Kevin Smith, like, had Batman tell another hero on a monopoe about this scene, and he's like, oh, yes, uh, back when I, uh, did that the scene from year one I actually peed my pants John I thought Sam Keith wrote secrets yeah sorry yeah you're right it is Sam Keith sorry no I thought I thought that was a cool scene but yeah but it's weird listening to Kevin Smith talk about it because he's got his own uh Fat Man on Batman podcast which I do enjoy which I hear is really good I, I enjoy it um I'm not sure if I should be advertising that on this Batman podcast. But well, uh, it's interesting. He talks to a lot of guests, and it's really cool. And he, he lets them talk instead of doing all the talking himself, which is what you might expect from Kevin Smith. But it's weird him talk about that scene with such, like, passion, and he's always quoting it and thinks it's the best scene ever. And then he goes, oh, yeah, and then I made Batman pee his pants after. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I do well, think thanks. it is the best scene by far in the book and it's the one that I remember it's just that chilling moment where he's like I am your doom and then it fades to black and he's disappeared you're just like hell yeah awesome but I can't yeah it does ruin it if he pees his pants another naked tied up man he's starting to notice a theme yeah lots of uh forced male stripping Here's Harvey Dent. I always liked seeing Harvey Dent as commissioner before he turned into Toothy. Except he was never the commissioner. Did I say I meant district attorney? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I meant district attorney, I'm sorry. I, I want to clarify something for Kevin Smith fans. When I say Kevin Smith needs to stay away from Batman, I mean writing Batman comics. He could do his Fat Man on Batman podcast. I don't want to get into that podcast angry at me. I think Kevin Smith should stay away from everything because I like being abused by fans. Okay, well, in in um in that one series, uh, what is it? Um, Winding Geyer. Batman's girlfriend is Silver Saint Cloud, and Kevin Smith is writing Silver Saint Cloud as Batman's girlfriend for twelve issues during the Comic Con panel where he talked about that series after he finished the 12th issue, he kept on calling her Vicky Vale, and he did it, like, five times. And finally, when it was time for the Q&A, I said, um, Vicky Vale's not in your comic. It's Silver St. Cloud. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Vicky, you wrote it! In Kevin Smith's defense, he does so much, I can't say I'm surprised that he's forgotten what he does. Oh, come but but forgetting the love interest, who you have killed at the end of the story, who you have Batman get engaged to, forgetting, like, it's it's not like she was a minor character. No, that's true, but I suppose he directs, writes, does podcasts, does stand up as well. So I, I, I might forgive him for that. No, oh, no. I, I, I would forgive him for one Vicky Vale, but for calling her Vicky Vale throughout the panel, that's... But anyway, there's a Batman Year One movie on right now. Yeah.
this was one of my favorite sequences from the comic. Like, everything from here to when Batman finally gets away. Yeah. And we've seen kind of um, reworkings of this I think, in the animated series, haven't we? Which, uh... there's, been, there's been different, like, versions of Batman ch- being chased by the cops. I like uh, Mask of the Phantasm, how they did it. Yeah. I don't think he got shot in that one. I remember he had to take off his mask to, uh, and, and phantasm to, like, divert the cops' attention. He, like, put it on some wooden thing and had it fly on a batarang. It's probably my favorite Batman film. That is, that is a good film. I like how car- cartoons as well have changed over the years. Because in, in Batman the Animated Series, nobody gets shot. Yeah, and there's loads of people get shot. It's an interesting progression, I think. Well, I think it's because it's the straight-to-DVD, you can kind of do a bit more, on, you can have the rating on it. Yeah, that's true. They really want that, man. I hope it's the same that <laughs> I can't help but think Batman's probably doing all of this and going, oh, I really should have stayed in bed today. <laughs> I love that. He has to throw his belt off before it explodes. Oh. Everyone is drawn almost like the like, like the style in the comic. I like that. Yeah. When I was a kid and I read the comic and Selena Kyle says that she never met a real man before, I took that at face value. I was like, oh, so she's never met a man before. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't think it made sense under much scrutiny, but I was like, that's a weird decision for Frank Miller to make, but okay. <laughs> this also before you know what prostitution was. Well, like, for, for someone to live to their 20s and never meet, like, anyone but females, that would that would take a, quite a lot of effort. Must go to, like, Catholic school. You, you go to Catholic school, you never go outside... Uh, your parents screen who comes into your house. There's Vicky Vale again and her Betty Brandt haircuts. I don't think we've uh, commented on the music in this film yet, but everything is pretty effective. It really helps sort of build up the uh, tension. Yeah, it's that kind of, it's underlying score and it draws you along without being too much. Whereas in the Dark Knight Returns, of course, it's 80s synth pop. But it really distracts. And you can hear how little John disliked the Dark Knight Returns in the Dark Knight Returns TV commentary. Nice plug. Thank you. I've been trying to get that in last time. I do uh, like this um, bit as well, where he's taking down all of the the guards, but doing it in different ways and doing it with Kyle and Cunning and you know, it, it, it's a scene. It's a side of Batman that I don't think we actually really ever see that much in comics now where he uses his brains to take down uh, it reminds me of the Arkham games yeah exactly you can kind of see where they got their their ideas from and I'd like to see more of this Batman to be honest yeah I think all too much we just see him you know bursting smashing through a window and then beating everyone up Smash him through a window, just like the bats that created him. 
everything and then leaving. That's my favorite part of the Arkham video games, is, like, scaring these people to death. Yeah. When the, and there's, when there's one of them and they panic as well. They're just going, oh, God! And, they... and you can look at their pulse. And yeah. that cat that just got away, it's going to burst through Selena Kyle's window and do a lot of damage as well. <laughs> I shall become a cat. Thank you, Father, who I've never met because I've never met a man in my life. <laughs> if I ring for Holly Oh no, no, if I ring for Holly I think that that's, uh, is that Dark Knight Returns Or Year One, I always forget Might be both He saves the cat, and from that moment on, Selina knew Batman was the man for her. He was a real man. All cats are drawn to her story. I think that that's much more creepy in the comic, where, like, the cat just, like, jumps to her, and, like, the way that it's done and the panels are arranged, like, I always thought that was really chilling. Like, she was this cat whisperer or something. More of Batman's incredible strength. You were the one. A <laughs> man through a brick wall. Oh yeah. Occupy Gotham. And another something else that Christopher Nolan borrowed from this comic. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually really possible to attract bats with sonar. I didn't think they were attracted to it. He's a bat whisperer. They kind of explain it how he had to work on it for a while to get the perfect frequency. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the thing that makes the least sense about it is how they burst through the window and things like that. And runs away in a Harley Davidson fat boy. <laughs> like well, I mean, this, this 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 is a bit that differs from the comic because in it the the police end up chasing a a cloud of bats and he's long disappeared. So this is this is something that is slightly different from it. I would have thought that uh, for bat bites you need a rabies shot. Good to see everyone's butt in the movie but Selena's. So, John, I know you are particularly annoyed by the lack of mono- inner monologues in Dark Knight Returns, so... Do you think it works in this? Um, yeah, in in places and, and where they've got them, it does really work. The problem is the delivery. And this is the the thing that, that I think lets the, the film down, especially with Batman and Ben McKenzie, because uh, he has so m- many monologues, he just doesn't, but he just seems to talk to himself in a one note flat all the way, and he he does feel very distancing and 
quite annoying at times as well. Because obviously when you talk to yourself in your head, you still put emphasis on words and you still say things in in a, you know, and, and reflect as if you're speaking the lines, whereas he just talks at the same level. And and then there were so many people over there, and then they went, oh, I'm Batman. And it just doesn't seem realistic. And that, I think, is a, another problem I have with it. Yeah. I think I'll agree the with last... the parts, but I think sometimes it, it does feel really uh, slow, almost. Especially when it's almost just like... I mean, I mean, earlier we just sort of saw a pan of the, the damage and it's Batman's one love. Uh, I think that works, but it's when he's kind of walking along, that's when it doesn't work at all. The scene that we uh, passed about a minute ago, it has, Selena, you punched in, and that's always been uh, one of mine and Donovan and Stella's favorite lines from the I'm comic. I'm to bring that up. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. but the Sarah... The, the Sarah Essen love story uh, with Gordon. If if I was watching this now, like for the first time, I would I would be very suspicious of her, like thinking that like she's a double agent or something like that, like meant meant to mess with Gordon from Loeb. Especially because she like comes in the middle of the story after like they're already like, oh, we gotta get Gordon. I think the the argument against that though is that. Um, Loeb has enough of his own people. I don't think he'd need to bring someone in from the outside. He's got plenty well, of his, his marriage. But then, uh, I get what you mean, but then in the story, I mean, it's, that has the same effect anyway, because Loeb obviously catches wind of what's going on and uses it against him, so he doesn't even need to send someone in. I think he just sort of takes advantage of the situation. Yeah. Blask, we're going to disguise you as a girl, and you're going to seduce Gordon. Oh, gee, <laughs> he's already seen me, Nate. <laughs> I mean, people do stupid things all the time, and people take advantage of them, don't they? That's the... Oh, yeah. That, that you know, that's always been the downfall of celebrities. They'll be the flavour of the month. You know, Kirst- Kirsten Stewart. Kirsten's shirt? Kristen's shirt. Well, I don't really care. Um, oh, you know. I think it's uh, K-Stu, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I don't care. She's a terrible actress. But she was, you know, massive and everybody loved her. She sleeps with the director and she's the, the villain of the piece. And, you know, people are using it to bash her, so... Have they finished filming all those movies, by the way? Yeah, the next, last the last one's coming out, I think... Uh, end of November. Okay, because that would be really awkward if you were Robert Patterson and, like, you had to, like, film another movie with your ex-girlfriend. You're you're embarrassing yourself. Being directed by the guy. My excuse is it was in a UK paper that I I was reading this morning. Was it the Daily Star? It was The Sun. Almost as bad. My excuse is they had free Lego. Alright, this guy's doing cocaine in the comic. Uh, I think that'd be a bridge too far for the animated film. Yeah. Oh, especially because in, in Dark Knight Returns, like, instead of Gordon smoking cigars, he's doing nicotine patches, so no way are they going to let cocaine use on screen. That's not the only thing they decided to censor in that book. Oh, thank goodness they didn't have the full frontal nudity hug. (laughs) I thought the film really lacked for not having full frontal nudity hug. That's the creepiest part of that comic. Hello, 12-year-old girl in my back cave. Give me a hug while I'm naked. Yes, but you have to to remember, he's the goddamn Batman. So, in Frank Miller's world, you can do... Well, in my world, we call those people goddamn arrested. Some big sunglasses. Everyone's got big glasses. The eighties. Everybody wears their sunglasses at night as well. It definitely was acceptable back then. 
<laughs> and they're large jackets and big sneakers. Oh yeah, here we go. Blackmail. That's I right. Think, I actually think that this is less dated than Dark Knight Returns. I'd agree with that, because there's not a lot of, like, stuff that would make it dated, like, technology and otherwise, and slang. Like, this could take place in the year 2012, potentially, with a few alterations. Yeah, and I think also, maybe it's supposed to do with the fact that it's supposed to be Batman's origin story, so you see it as in the past, so you wouldn't expect him to have all of the high-tech stuff that he has today, which I think helps, but... It, I, it, you still could read it as if it was just happened. Yeah. Or uh, unless you read the Scott Snyder Batman Zero, where he has lots of high-tech stuff. Like self-controlling batarangs for some reason. Yeah. And a folding motorcycle. I think while we're going on about it, <laughs> this sort of thing, I think it's probably a good move to give Barbara brown hair. Otherwise, you kind of get that weird thing where everyone looks like they're related. Well, and, and it would stop people from confusing her with the other Barbara Gordon. All right. Yeah. We've run into issues with that in the comics. They made some changes to this scene from the comic book. Like, uh, we haven't got into that part yet, but, like, when Mrs. Gordon sees uh, Bruce's uh, uh, batarangs, if you will... <laughs> That was not in the comic. And um, afterwards, when they leave, and the girl's like, you people are sick. That, that wasn't in the comic. But the interesting thing is that girl, um, his little cutie, that's Sarah Ballantyne, who was Mary Jane from the Spider-Man animated series in the 90s. And uh, the first time I went to Comic-Con, like, Joe Casada was, was trying to tell me that Batman had an affair with Mary Jane the night before Spider-Man's wedding. Which there actually is a guy named Bruce that's trying to sleep with Mary Jane in the wedding issue. So, like, this is basically Joe Casada's uh, prophecy coming to pass. We have Mary Jane and Bruce Wayne together. Well, of course, uh, Batman and Spider-Man do meet up in uh, the Marvel DC crossovers. So, conceivably, depending on where it takes place, he could try and sleep with Mary Jane. It's a it's a billionaire named Bruce in the wedding book and like and you never see his face and he's always like appearing from like a fancy sports car and he's trying to seduce Mary Jane. The only problem with that though is if it actually was Bruce Wayne who was <laughs> Alright and again here's the the extra scene. You people are sick. This is a really fast year. We're already in October. Three days I love, I love that lawyer. And I think that's uh, oh, poor Barbara. You know, I think that was pretty deliberately void of emotion. But I don't think you can complain about that performance. So. You could tell, like, the, 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 every look on everyone's face. He'll never sniff any cocaine again. <sighs> Gordon, you're playing with fire. If I was him, I would move my wife out of town. Hey, guess what, police commissioner? I'm making an enemy of you. <laughs> Please don't kidnap my wife and or son. Some cross-company promotion there. I 
think that they did that in the comic too. It's it's been a while, but I remember the characters being somewhat recognizable. I, I definitely remember there being a Mickey Mouse in there, and unless I missed it, I'm not sure if they put him in this. And I wonder if that's because Disney bought Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> and now Star Wars. I've got the comic let, right here. Let me tell you what's in the scene. I, I thought they. Uh, I thought Disney already owned Star Wars because of, uh, no. when I was at. Disneyland, there's a lot of there's Star Wars Rising merchandise still. But, uh, it's uh, it's licensing. Uh, no, they bought it this week. Surprised yeah. you didn't hear. Oh no, I, I've seen that. <laughs> That'll make this podcast dated if someone listens to it three years from now. Like, oh, so this is when they. Go, go, going back so, to the scene, it is Mickey Mouse is in the in the scene. It's the telephone. Lots of male nudity in this book. Slash movie. That is a Carmine Falcon, isn't it? See where he gets his iconic stars. Does anyone else think that that the the scene Carmine Falcone and his I think it's his nephew. It's very um, Godfatherish in a kind of way. Is it just me? Almost any crime lord-like scene can be considered Godfatherish. It's because like Godfather is like the genre maker. Yeah, that's true. We never get like a full like first meeting between Batman and Catwoman in this book. Like they they like barely directly interact. I'm trying to remember if they cut the Superman comment out or not. I think they did. Uh, I don't. I don't remember that. I mean, is that a smartphone that he just picked up or a tape recorder? I think it's the dictaphone. Yeah, tape recorder. That's uh, uh, another line from uh, The Dark Knight uh, Returns. Uh, not Returns, uh, The Dark Knight, where he goes, shall I uh, fire, get the uh, the bat pods? And he goes, no, I'll take the Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. Never during the day, Alfred. It's very good to do a terrible Michael Caine impression then, but I'll spare you all. I used to do a really good impression of Michael Caine, but I haven't... What if... What if she had already made her choice? What if Lamborghini had had written a letter to you saying it had chosen to have Harvey Dent drive it? (laughs) Is that your Michael Caine impression? Very bad one. Uh I've been doing Bane impressions all week because I had my Bane mask for Halloween. By which you mean Tom Hardy Bane or generic Latin American? Uh, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight. Perhaps he is wondering why a baby would cry when it has already had its bottle, Bane. (laughs) Yeah, for that that one, you just have to put your hand over your mouth. Look, I don't talk like this. I see, Batman. You are the surreal. Both of them? That baby is going to grow up to be a serial killer. The Commissioner Loeb does pop a blue pill. Heck, that baby, like, Batman probably didn't need to save it. If well, From what we've seen of James Gordon Jr. in the comics, he probably would have taken all those guys out, even though he still couldn't walk or had any motor skills. Wait a second, that maniac's heading towards my house with my maniac family. There's, yes, there's no possible way that convenience could have just sent him in that direction. It must be an evil person. Well, uh, he has been pissing everyone off. <laughs> well, is it in in the comic or is it the sort of implied that he 
he kind of recognises or doesn't recognise the, the vehicle which he, cause he he's so observant that he kind of knows every car and in the, the car park and notices that the the bike that shouldn't belong there or am I looking into something when I was reading it no no it's it's there in the comic um, he notices uh, the bike and then like well that's not meant to be there How dare you try and save my family? I'll shoot you. <laughs> she has to recognize him. Not that dark. Oh, he's the dark knight. This is another series of continuity errors where the skyline changes. If you watch, it goes from sort of dusk to full day to dusk to full day again quite a few times. It's a, a, another bit that I spotted that bugs me. Well, maybe he's, like, looking on the side where the sun is, uh, rising, and then the side where the sun is, like, still set. The sun know. is rising. The sun? It's rising. Of course. This is going to date it as well. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, if somebody's listening to this in, like, five years' time, they were going, I don't understand. We've got a new Batman film. Why are they doing these impersonations? Oh, yeah, because if we recorded this in 2008, we'd be like, why so serious? <laughs> Where's the baby? Where is it? Where's the baby? Well, actually, both films. Be it Harvey Dent or The Trigger. <laughs> yeah. Where's the I baby? That, that scene, um, where is he, where's Harvey Dent, is basically taken out of uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade when when Indiana Jones is trying to find out where his father is and uh, beating up the generic terrorist guy on the boat that baby's dead that's been shaking quite a lot yeah it's like I it, it's sad to say, but I know a baby who was shook, and like, and that baby is eight years old. Well, he's not a baby anymore, but he's eight, almost nine years old now, and he's brain damaged permanently because he was shook as a baby, and like, he's he can't talk, he can barely walk, he still wears diapers, he needs assistance with everything, and this baby's been like James Gordon Jr. He's been shook throughout the whole course of this thing. Uh, yes, but that explains why James Gordon Jr. turns out... Because I, I think it's Black Mirror uh, with, the, again, Scott Snyder. Doesn't he say that, you know, he didn't cry during it and he was he was shaken about and it done... Yeah, I, th- I think they blame it more on the fall and that may catch him, but... Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I mean, like, it'll do things to your nervous system. Like, you won't be able to talk. You won't be able to, like, this... Oh, anyway. So, Gordon, um, <laughs> seeing Batman's face or not seeing his face? This is, this is, sorry, this is, jo- Josh, this is the comics, you know, where a man can wear glasses and nobody works out he's Superman. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, like, what do you think of that? Like, like, is Gordon lying? Is he telling the truth? Like, I, what do you think of the ambiguity? I, I think he kind of doesn't want to know. That's, you know, what... If he doesn't know, then he doesn't have to lie, that sort of thing. And I think it's plausible that he has an idea, but... I mean, his glasses were off, and it, you know, the, the sun was in his eyes at the right angle for him not to really see the face, but... I think, I think, of, he, I think he knows. I, yeah, I think it's kind of left up to whoever's reading, slash watching it, to... He fought a bunch of guys in a parking garage in the in the dark... Yeah, I, I think he's he's got he's got to know. 
you know, there's no, there's no other way. But he just doesn't want to say because, you know, he knows that he's a force for good and that, you know, if he would, if he, if he did want to tell him, he would tell him. So, I love this choice of putting the comic panels. In yeah, the that is really good. Katie Sackhoff is uh, a uh, prostitute who's not a prostitute. <laughs> that was Batman Year One, everyone. Um, so I guess we should give our ratings of it. Uh, Josh, do you want to go first? I'll give it five out of five batterings. It uh, it was almost straightforward from the comic with like a few alterations, and I mean I I enjoyed it. It's uh, a <laughs> Well then, this is this is what like you know these DC animated movies should have been, not the Death of Superman one that had nothing to do with the Death of Superman. Yeah, I've heard bad things about that one. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm going to give this uh, three and a half out of five batarangs. I thought it was good in a lot of places. Um, Brian Cranston as uh, Commissioner Gordon steals the show. He's by far the best thing in it. Um, and it's really, really good. I do have a lot of, I do have a few issues with it, which just means that it won't get four out of five batterings. Uh, things like Ben McKenzie seems to be the, the major one. And there are a few continuity issues that just irritate me. But, uh, you know, it's a good film overall it's enjoyable yeah and I think I'll give it four and a half um, I did really enjoy it I enjoyed it a lot more than I remember enjoying it I think it's because I've been talking to John a lot recently and <laughs> he can bring out the negativity in me but watching it just then after a while I, I really enjoyed it um, I, I can't give it five because partly because of the animation some of that really irritates me and some of the performance I think was a bit lacklustre but in other places it was really well done um, I appreciate how closely it stuck to the comics uh, I'm not sure if they'll do that again because I'm not sure if it works for everyone but uh, I, I thought they did a very good job with the story I enjoyed it a lot I think in, in their defence just as a final parting note I, I think there was absolutely no option but for them to do it frame by frame because it's such an iconic comic and you can imagine the anger and rage that I think would have been unleashed by a lot of people if they'd gone, well, we've adapted it and kind of done it quite loosely. I I think it was the only direction that they could have done in their defence. Whether it works, well... Yeah, OK, so any final thoughts? Join us next week for Batman Year Two. Yeah, well then, I hope you enjoyed the commentary. As Josh sort of said, come back soon to listen to the Dark Knight Returns commentary, the uh, the next Frank Miller animated animated film, and uh, we'll see you all soon. This has been Joe. This is Josh. And this is John.